This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic, Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church, powered by The Witness, a Black Christian Collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BurnsClan. Please follow at your own risk. And joining me, as always, is the founder of The Witness. He has a very extensive bio, the man, the myth, the legend, the two-time best-selling author, the multiple book of the year award winner, Mr. Blue Check Verify himself, the college professor, the, uh, uh, man, what else? The international speaker, um, the unknown break dancer, the T-Swift lover, Dr. Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. And uh, I'm glad to see, for those watching the videos, that you took off the three-piece suit this time. Hey, look, man. Um, hey. You still outstaging me, you know, whatever. <laughs> You've always been more stylish, but, you know, break, last bro. time was insulting. Last time was insulting. <laughs> Listen, I was doing the Christmas party thing. You know what it is. You know, just trying to, trying to look fresh for the people. But once again, if you want to see what we're talking about, you can go to patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. And you will get all the video recordings of our episodes. We video record almost pretty much every episode. So you'll be able to get that. So be on the lookout for that. Shout out to our patrons as well. You'll yeah. not be able to do what we do without our Patreon family. Thank you so, so, so much um, for all that you have done and you continue to do to make this episode um, and you know this entire podcast, not just the cultural artifacts episodes, but the podcast, what it is today. So if you are just tuning in, you need to go back and listen to part one of Cultural Artifacts. Um, do not you didn't give them the uh, Patreon address. I did. I said patreon.com forward slash pass the mic. Now you did. You're welcome. Did Thank you, listeners. No, I did before. <laughs> now nah, you missed it. I slid it in there. Now nah, you missed it. You missed it. Catch if up. I missed it, then I know the listeners missed it. Patreon.com pass the mic. You can support for a little as a dollar an episode and get more of our okay. foolishness and antics, <laughs> as well as insights. I'm sorry. You I know what they say, et cetera, et cetera. Don't let it get too far ahead of you. Okay. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. Nah, that, but, but um. <laughs> you got to be in the know. You got to be in the know. But um, we are excited about Cultural Artifacts Part 2. We're going to give our last five, uh, the second half of our list. If you are just tuning in, as a reminder, Cultural Artifacts are the things that moved us in a given year. We do this every single year. We give 10 things that moved us um, from each of our perspectives. But it is not things that it, the, the twist is it doesn't have to come out in 2022. We just had to have consumed it or interacted with it in 2022. And I have to be honest with you, Jamar, I think all of mine are from 2022. It was a very interesting year. So I have so much, I have like 30, 35 things, but I kind of pared it down to 10 which I'll talk about. (laughs) You're like, we ain't going to be here that long. Because we each get five, so uh, we got a couple honorable mentions. All right, all right. Okay, so do you want to go over what you had last time, bro? Your your five for the cultural artifacts? Sure thing. In Cultural Artifacts Part 1, 
I had to do a couple pop culture references. The first was the Taylor Swift album, Midnight's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tyler oh. clown me about it. Just don't worry oh. about it. It's been covered. The other one was the movie Prey. Um, the next one was The Slap with Chris Rock and Will Smith. The other one was the January 6th committee. And last and hauntingly, not least, was white Christian nationalism. What did you and, give us? <laughs> this boy's like white Christian nationalism. <laughs> it's so funny to me. Nah, so my, oh. my first five were the movie Note by Jordan Peele, uh, the album The Family by Red Hands Band, the TV show The Bear on FX, Dilla Time by Dan Charnas, the book, and the movie Viola Davis exclusive The Woman King. Okay, so we got five-ish more left. And so, Jay, take it away with your uh, first one in your second half of the list on cultural artifacts. Okay, so the first one, I kind of cheated a little bit. I have a general category, and there's a couple things in that category, but I'll be quick. Um, So for me, the first cultural artifacts are specific apps, apps on my phone, apps that I have become an avid consumer and user of. This is interesting. Um, We've never had an app before. So you break it your ground. Okay. So that's what I do. Pioneer right here. (laughs) Um, So uh, the first one, y'all can just, you can, you can clown me whatever to, to be like, dude, what took you so long? Finally, whatever. The audible app. Do you have this? Yeah. Okay, so I'm, my I'm, hesitation. I'm true to Audible. Audible is but, Audible, and I are on a first name basis. We got to understand it. We got a secret handshake. We've <laughs> we, we been boys. We've been down since like you know, like full flat since I don't know, like 20, 2010. <laughs> so here's the thing, bro. Here's the thing. I had the Kindle app, and you okay. can do text to speech. So that's what I've done. Most of the time until there was an update a while ago that made it much, much harder, much more complicated. Or maybe I just missed how to do it again. So for the longest time, I just didn't have it. Why? Because the subscription to Audible, it's like $14.99 a month or something. I'm like, I already got all these streaming services. I already got all these monthly whatevers. I don't think I want to dive into this yet because I don't even know if I like it. Well, finally, I did. And I can't remember what was the first book or 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 why I finally took the plunge. But since then, and this is only probably halfway, maybe maybe in the summer of 2022, I've I've read like 10 books via Audible. Um, some of the outstanding ones were uh, Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, the founder of Nike. Um, Act Ooh, Like You Got Some okay. Sense by Jamie Foxx was really good. I do, I do bios and memoirs, you can see. Um, uh, and then... What was the one? Oh, Right of a Lifetime by uh, Bob mm. Iger, who is the uh, exactly uh, Disney CEO of Disney. Yeah. So that's just a few of them. So Audible has been awesome, mostly for those bios and memoirs. Send me your recommendations. Uh, the other app is Blinkist. Have you heard of Blinkist? I've heard of Blinkist. I don't have Blinkist, but I've heard of it. So I was super skeptical of Blinkist. What it does is take books and condense them into 15, 20 minute what they call blinks. And I'm oh, like, this, well, this is dumb. <laughs> exactly. This is dumb. <laughs> why would I, why would I listen to a 15, 20 minute synopsis? It's, it's like using spark notes or something or whatever, or Cliff's notes when you were in high school and didn't want to read the whole book. What right. I've used it for 
is a preview of books. So you subscribe hmm. to the app and then there's a bunch of books who I'm that I'm intrigued by, but I'm not quite sure if I want to take the plunge and buy the book and invest the time in reading it, whether the old-fashioned way or through Audible. So I use Blinks to give me a preview of the concept. They take the basic concepts of the book and that tells me. And so I've discovered several books on there. They also do Blinks of podcasts, which is really interesting. Uh, they'll take an hour long or longer podcast and condense it into typically eight to 10 minutes of highlights. And I've been introduced to so many different guests, so many different new podcasts wow. that way. So it's a nice way to gain breadth and exposure um, to that. So that that's my first one is apps. And in particular, the Audible and the Blinkist app, I should add third one in there, Duolingo. Uh, I, I can brag that I'm in the top 1% for both Blinkist and Duolingo oh, users, wow. but I won't do that. So anyway, <laughs> those are... <laughs> you said I'll, re I'll restrain myself, but I just I'll restrain myself from mentioning that uh, I've made it part of my routine and day, which puts me in the 99th percentile of, of everyone. But, you know, whatever. Um, just a deal. Whatever. He's born his atomic habits. That's what we see you. We see you. No, nah, that's what's up, bro. I think those are obviously I love Audible and Blinkist. I have to download that. It feels like cheating, but I'm still going to do it just because. <laughs> what you got? What's your first cultural artifacts part two? So, you know, I got to break the rules, right? Um, okay, I am going to, to break bit. the rules and I'm going to break the rules by doing the same thing you just did. So I know we in, we in the spirit. <laughs> You connected, you in tune with the ghost because I am doing two albums in one and I'm doing two albums in one specifically huh. because I discovered these two albums and found them on the same exact day. So huh. the first album is by a group called Moonchild and that album is called Starfruit. And then the second album is, of course, Black Radio 3 by Robert Glasper. Um, so these are both in the R&B genre, but they're wildly divergent. So the first time I heard about Moonchild was in the group chat, as all good things originate. <laughs> and my good friend, who you obviously know, no stranger to the show, Akemini Uwan, was putting uh, the group of us on to Moonchild. And I feel a certain type of way because the way the conversation went, Akemini said, hey, Ray, one of our other friends, hey, Ray, you would like this. And I'm like, we would like it too, you know? <laughs> and so she dropped Moonchild in the chat and I was not prepared for the immaculate groove wow. that is Moonchild what from the first moment. It? It's an R&B genre, um, you know, kind of has an, alt it, you know, it's R&B kind of, kind of groovy funk, but it's, it's very smooth and the participants are white. So you look at it. You, oh, wow. You don't, you don't imagine. Like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, I heard a moonshine before. And then I turned off like, oh, snap. These are our, this is Blue Eyes Soul. I love it. Um, and it's really special. It's a trio. And they really have an appreciation. The entire album is constructed as an homage to Black women. And hmm. the way in That's which they, yes, the way in which they construct the album and the feel and the soul of the album, 
it really has this quality. Great music can brighten every day, no matter if it's a bad day or a good day, no matter if it's overcast or sunny. And Moonshot, whenever I listen to Starfruit, my day picks up. Notice my posture changes. It's just music made from a from a place of soul and music made from a place of appreciation. And so Moonchild is definitely an underrated group that I'd say keep your eyes on. And then Black Radio 3. So Robert Glasper has long been one of my favorite musicians. And Robert Glasper, of course, a jazz pianist who is, is. very well known, very, very well known. I was going to say a the multi Grammy award winner. Yeah. You know, played with the likes of D'Angelo, uh, Common, so many others. And the thing about Glasper on these particular compilations. So he puts together these black radio compilations and everyone knows what you get when you tune into black radio. It's not going to really be sonically smooth in terms of, or I should say, it's not going to have a a smooth sequencing. It's not going to be a journey like a Kendrick Lamar album or a Beyonce album. It's not going to be sequenced like that. It's going to be much more um, standalone tracks put together in compilation. One mm. of the tracks, better than I imagined, with her, um, the uh, R&B artist, her, it actually won a Grammy for Best R&B Song in 2020. So it's nice. way back when, you know, and it just put on the album. So it's a, it's a lot of these compilations. And, and so it's not necessarily in a sequence. It's not necessarily always telling a story super well. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. It feels a little out of place sometimes. But it is a journey through the Black experience and an homage to Blackness as not just a reality, but an aesthetic. There are obviously... Say that again. Not just a reality, an but aesthetic. an aesthetic. You know, a feel. Huh. And there's always these lush rap song collaborations that you get on a Robert Glasper album. So you'll get the the merging of a music soul child with a common, or you get the merging of, you know, you'll get Big Crit and Gregory Porter and Big Killer Crit. Mike. And, you know, you'll yeah. get a lot of different types of people over music that, and this is why it's on my list and I couldn't leave it off. There's some music that just touches a deeper part of your soul. There's a lot I could critique about this album. But huh. the way it celebrates blackness is something that really deeply moved me. It touched me. And it's always towing this line between nostalgia and how do I say this? It's always towing this line between being nostalgic and being uh, over the top, too on the nose, black radio. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, like it's almost like black exploitation, right? So it's like the mer- this like very thin line between nostalgia and black exploitation. And I kind of don't want that in my music. Um, yeah. but, but it, it or anywhere, it always <laughs> seems, well, you know, sometimes like it can make sense, like as a genre, you know, like first, first half of the first season of Luke Cage, you know, you went with it. But it's just, it works. And it's probably because Glasper is the glue that is holding this together. Uh, and that you know, no matter element, what, yeah. there's that thematic, those keys are telling a story. And those keys are telling our story even more than verses and lyrics and notes that incredible singers and rappers give us. The keys of a star of the show. And if you can, that's what makes it special. 
I'm just so intrigued. Music features a lot in your culture artifacts list. And I don't know if there's a quick way to do this, but I'm curious about how you listen to music, right? Like, so are you are you like sitting down in a recliner with uh, a vinyl record playing and just just going through the layers reflectively? Or are you in the car and you're just jamming to it or you've listened to it so so many times that now you've got some thoughts about it kind of a thing? I mean, how are you consuming it to where you can detect the textures and the 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 feel of the grain of the music like you do. It's a great question. <laughs> I don't you know it it varies. I'll just say if the music the music that is on a cultural artifacts list or the music that I say this is the best quote unquote album of the year whatever in my opinion that's music that is a part of my daily life. So if I can't listen to you while I'm making pasta or if I can't listen to you while I'm driving on a commute or clearing my head or exercising, if I have to make listening to you an event rather than the atmosphere in which I live, Mm. you're Mm. not one of my top albums, which is why you won't see Kendrick Lamar, spoiler, Kendrick Lamar's, you know, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Like you're not going to see that album because it didn't become a part of my life. And I think it's a great album, but it just didn't become a part of my life. And there so, are a few that grab you and you're like, I gotta, yeah. I gotta, I gotta get more of this. I, I gotta to listen. I gotta I let to, this seep in my and, soul. And whatever, whenever I whenever I catch a glimpse of greatness, this is in any area of life, whether it's you know, watching sports or listening to great preachers or communicators. Whenever I catch a glimpse of greatness, I have to get to the end of it. I have mm. to figure out how great they are mm. and why they're that great. It's just something in my mind. It's this raging curiosity I have to figure out what drives great people. And so wow. once I, once an album grabs me, I don't let it go. You know, it's very difficult for me to separate from the album because I've experienced something and I don't want to leave that feeling. And I also want to appreciate what is, I believe, the common grace of God's goodness in the earth, right? Which go. is that beauty and wonder and majesty are reflections of us being image bearers of God. And that by encountering that and appreciating that, we appreciate God's creative order. We also appreciate the fact that God has touched people and they haven't wasted what God has given them. So, you know, that's what I would say. Mic drop. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Nah, man, also I'm explains a lot. Explains a lot. Explains why you're still uh, doing this podcast with me because you're trying to see what makes Jamal ah. great. How to get to the end of his greatness? It's eight well, years buddy, in, and we still good. haven't figured it. That's good, bro. That is incredible. That's incredible. Hilarious. I, I got to give. I got to tip my cap to you on that one. I tip my oh, cap. Okay, I spent too much time. I'm sorry. What's it? What's your next one? What's your next one in the cultural artifacts list? Okay, the next one is sort of an app. It it has an app uh, function, but it is Substack. Do y'all know about Substack? Let me tell you. <laughs> we know about Substack through you. <laughs> right, exactly. Listen, first of all, as an aside, you want me as your fan. You're going to see in the rest of this list, like I am loyal. If I If I get on to what you're doing, I become an ambassador. I am not just a sort of passive consumer of these things I'm really passionate about. Substack is one of those, man. Substack, I started it um, 
the beginning of 2021 because I wanted to write more frequently. Writing books for me is often a sporadic endeavor because it takes me so much time to sort of hit that gear where I can write a long form project. So I typically do that in spurts, not on a a day to day or almost daily basis. So I wanted to do that. And I had started a blog years ago, back in 2013, I think. And I really enjoyed it. It was just my own personal blog that was out there. And there's something I'm telling you, if you are somebody who loves words, at some point, it reach you will only hit another level when you go public. Hmm. Words really only have wow that really soul-stirring power when you share them. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance wow. of writing for oneself. I journal for myself. I journal to understand my thoughts and feelings, right? But it is in the act of sharing those inner mm-hmm. thoughts that you have put into words that there is there is a there's a spiritual alchemy involved mm. that makes it a communal experience that's what i chase after that's, that's what i love the process of and um and so substack allowed me to do that and so for the first year of 2021 most of it it was just offered for free i wasn't doing much with it i was just getting into the rhythm of writing then in um late summer, I got invited to be part of this Substack training group. I think it was Mm. a pretty big group, but whatever. I did it and it it really sparked more interest in me. So then I started offering paid subscriptions in October. That was crucial timing. I had just stepped down from my job um, at the Center for Anti-Racist Research in August. I had no steady income. And so Substack was, was my lifeline. Uh, my wife wow. is is full time at home, homeschooling our son. Like it was what we needed to get by and get through. And along wow. the way, it has all these other benefits. So we see all this wackiness going on with Twitter right now. We know on every platform the algorithm is is rules the day. Right? Yes. Um, you don't control your audience on that platform. You can't always reach everybody who follows you, all of that stuff. But on something like Substack, you can because essentially it's a newsletter. It's a, it's an email list, mm-hmm. but it's amped up through their platform. So if you're thinking about writing and you, you, you haven't yet either made the plunge to go public or you're also looking for another revenue stream, Substack to me is a fantastic platform. Really simple user interface very easy to publish and even to to hit these sort of subgroups paid free gift subscription all of these kind of things it's so super simple to set up the only thing you need to do is know your audience and be consistent hmm. know who you're trying hmm. to talk to and be consistent to talk because there's a there's a trust that develops as you publish something and um it's it's much like podcasting in that sense yeah. uh that that over the course of almost a decade we've we've built a community of podcast listeners that's only come because we stay in communication with our listeners right. and we do this as consistently as we can we know we're not perfect <laughs> but we've been steady you know we've been steady for most of a decade and it's the same with um writing for something like Substack so that's been a huge part of my life uh for over uh, a year and a half now. 
I'm really glad that you shared that with people because that's very, there's vulnerability in sharing that, you know, it was your lifeline. You know, I think for some people, they would assume certain things about people that they consider to be quote unquote famous or, you know, known by others or popular or have New York Times bestsellers and just assume that the checks just keep on coming no matter what you do. And I love that you demystified for them. No, this is work. And as a historian, I've got to move from job to job, from situation to situation and be as consistent. And sometimes that means that even your historians are hustlers. (laughs) And that's that's the black. Isn't that the black story that uh, we have a New York Times bestselling historian on this podcast and he's got to be a hustler. Got to have a side hustle. Doesn't that say something about the world that we live in, about equity, about justice? Anyway, so I say all that to say support jamartisby.substack.com. Subscribe. Do it. Pay the money. Pay pay the pay the five dollars. Pay the ten dollars. Pay the twenty dollars. Pay it because I'm telling you, it's going to be uh, value, and you're also supporting those who should be amplified even greater than where they are now. So appreciate that, man. All right. So, so number um, two for you. Yeah, so this this will be officially on my list, number seven, but number two in this half. I'm kind of bending the rules again. I just put six together with Moonchild and Black Radio. But this is where the list got really difficult because these last four, uh, I'm trying yeah. to fit in so many different incredible things <laughs> that happened in this year. There is a moment that I really wanted to put in here. There's albums, there's books, there's uh, TV shows, movies, all the above. and. I kept coming back to this one show that I watched that I felt like was extremely important and special. And I think this was this year. If, if Forgive me if I maybe bent the years, but I feel like I've consumed it this year. But it is the TV show on Apple TV Plus called Severance. And uh, Severance is have you have you watched Severance, Jamar? I have not. <laughs> So is it a comedy? Because if it ain't, no, it I probably is, haven't it watched is. it. <laughs> so Severance is not a comedy. Severance is an American science fiction psychological thriller. That's what the description of the show says. So the plot follows Mark, who's an employee of Lumen Industries, who agrees to a severance program in which his non-work memories are separated from his work members. Oh, I saw previews of this. Yep. Yes. So Severance basically follows Mark as every single day he is one of a few employees that they have their memories wiped or their memories stored and separated from their consciousness outside of their job experience. And when I heard about Severance, I didn't think it was going to be the type of show that I personally would enjoy. I felt like that was for somebody else or, you know, it was going to be a little bit too plotting for me. You know, where's the action? Where's the, you know, you got to have those explosive moments. You know, there is a show formula for me. I like to watch eclectic shows, but I like for shows to peak, have those inflection points. But this is what grabs me about Severance Jamar, and I think you'll find this funny. It has, I believe, the best title sequence and intro of any show ever. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> it's the most creative intro title sequence. It's brilliant. I can't imagine how much money they spent on it. 
it's just absolutely brilliant. Is it is it one and of these long ones? Like some of them last 45, 60 seconds. Some of them are it, it is long, but it is it is <laughs> it is I mean arresting because of the way they use animation and the Ooh. way they use they represent what is happening in the show. It's and from that point I said, "Oh no, this is sneaky brilliant." Now, I say this because at the same time I was doing research on what would become an eventual sermon series for our church uh, called Skip Intro, where I was contrasting the reality of how, um, as Vice has reported, people skip intro now. Of course, everyone has that button. And it's leading to a crisis in Hollywood because people are no longer spending hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars on that little title sequence because no one's watching it. And so it gives great context. So I related it to this this idea of process and journey and how we often like to skip the intro. So I went through a whole series on process and journey, right? As a result. That's good. That's good. So doc. I was doing that at the same time. You know, just a little, just a little something for y'all. Maybe a <laughs> book. Creative. Who knows? But hey, hey. so so any, anyway, let me not jinx myself. But <laughs> so we were um, in that in the midst of planning that. And so I was like, I, I want to make a concerted effort to watch intros of shows. And so I watched this one and it just grabs. It was so compelling. Severance, shockingly, is one of the most perfectly paced shows I've ever watched. Hmm. Hmm, and I big. say that because it's not. It's not that it doesn't have moments where you're trying to figure out what's happening or moments of lull, but you can tell it was so intentionally paced that it built the tension for the last two episodes of the season. And the last two episodes of this first season are perfect. Mm. They're just absolutely perfect. And so you can see how they built it in a way that that left enough intrigue and mystery and wonder and curiosity to where you weren't feeling like you were just wading through nothing. Um, I'm in the middle right now, I, I said on Twitter, of trying to get through Andor. And I'm trying to get through Andor because I'm I'm halfway through, I think it's episode three or something like that. And everyone's saying it's the greatest show ever. And I'm yeah. like, where's the greatness? You know, I just, wow. no, no this, no shame. Wow. Just, I, so, so, so I'm putting myself on the hook because everyone says after episode three, it hooks you or, you know, episode four, episode five, it hooks you. And I'm sure that's the case. It's just a commitment for me to spend, you know, two and a half, three hours to get to the point y'all say is good. Yes, yes, yes. And and I appreciate, and I'm sure Andor is going to do this as well, because too many people that I trust say it's great. I appreciate when shows really build the tension for a satisfying, successful payoff, which whether it's heartbreaking or frustrating I feel like I learned more about the character. And by learning more about the character, I learned more about myself. There's moments of romance as well in this show that are really beautiful. Huh. And I'm not a, you know, not like Tyler, the, oh, that old romantic. romantic. <laughs> but like, it's really beautiful. It's uh, some moments I was like, okay, y'all, y'all might be cooking with something here. You know, got some, <laughs> some dialogue. Um, and, it, and it left me in great anticipation for season two. I feel like it ended on the right note. It's it's one of those shows that the more I think about it, the more I smile, the more mm. I process. And I also, and this was another thing I wanted to mention, severance to me is about what happens 
when the people who society thinks shouldn't be centered start to center themselves. Ooh. And there Sounds are some, a lot like our show. <laughs> exactly. So there's some things, there's some people, the main characters, you know, if you take them in isolation, you would not want to be around them. You know, you you you'd be like, ah, they can go and do that. Now they're weird or they're 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 kind of quirky or but when they take agency, they're powerful. And a lot of the the structure of the company was built upon them never taking agency. Uh-huh. But, but when they do and when they decide to center themselves, they are they are disruptors. And I think that's why Severance had me rooting for non-conventional protagonists and rooting for people I never thought I'd I'd be so invested in. And so yeah, for those reasons, Severance has to be on that's my list. Good art, right? Definitely there. a great one. It's good art, real good art. Mm. Well, uh we'll continue on the art art track. Um this I thought is you were just not... doing roots. I thought it was just I thought it was just depth <laughs> from here on out. I, I was saying before, I think I think subconsciously my pattern has been for cultural artifacts part one, I kind of go with the heavy stuff or the national stuff, like the universal kind of important cultural moments, I think. And then um for part two is a little bit more personal, like just like closer to your approach of you know what really moved me. So this is not I listen, y'all, Tyler is a connoisseur of of culture. Um I'm I'm not. <laughs> I just like stuff that that makes me feel good is entertaining, and this is where this next one falls into. So, um, let me preface this by saying, I think a lot of our listeners probably are similar to me in that it's hard to turn off the social justice knob right it's it's hard even to turn it down right like we're 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 constantly reading nonfiction. we're scrolling through social media to see what happened we're thinking about things deeply we're wondering about how to make the world a better place it's hard to turn that off um it's hard to shift into a different gear and we all need to we all need to pace ourselves we all need breaks and whatnot so one of the ways that i've tried to do that is by reading fiction but i don't like sad Mm. fiction like i just Mm. i don't want heartbreak we i get enough of that studying history right so i want escape boy say you're a black man in america (laughs) (laughs) to be in a rage almost all the time so (laughs) i need something that is going to take me out of that and what I found for over a year were these novels that are part of a series called Jack Reacher. <laughs> oh yes, yes, sir. The Jack yes, Reacher sir. series. So I gotta I gotta shout out the both the books and the show. The, the show was really good. Was really good. Now there are movies starring Tom Cruise. The first one was decent, second one, not so much. The series, though, on Amazon Prime Video was excellent. Mostly due to the casting yeah. uh, choices that they made. He's a true Jack t- Reacher. Exactly. He's a true Jack Reacher versus Tom Cruise. They felt like Tom could overcome the physical difference and the, exactly. the physical specimen aspect. And he 
He, he so, can, but there's only so much you can do. So. I mean, Tom Cruise has the mega star power, right? And so he he was able to bring that into a new film franchise and get eyeballs on the film. But it was a big departure from the books, which started in 1997. And uh, the, the author of the book, uh, Lee Child, he gives an introduction in, in the first book. There are 27 books. I'm on book 25. No, 26 wow. of 27. Um, wow. He said this about the character, and this is why I liked it. He was an avid reader before becoming an author, and he got fired from his job. And then he said, um, well, he had been kicking around this idea of writing a book for a while, writing a novel for a while. Finally, he didn't have a job. He didn't have anything else to do. No more excuses. And he started writing. And he said this. He said, I found that I liked some things and I disliked some other things. I'd always been drawn to outlaws. I liked cleverness and ingenuity. I liked the promise of intriguing revelations. Mm. I disliked a hero who was generally smart, but did something stupid three quarters away, three quarters of the way through the book, merely to set up the last part of the action. I like that line. I disliked a hero who was generally smart, but did something stupid three quarters of the way through the book, merely to set up the last part of the action. Wow. Detectives on the trail who walked into rooms and got hit over the head from behind just didn't do it for me. And this is what he did like. He said, and I liked winners. I was vaguely uneasy with the normal story arc that has a guy lose, lose, lose before he wins in the end. I like to see something done spectacularly well. In sports, I liked crushing victories rather than ninth inning nail biters. And so he crafted this character, Jack Reacher, to be this winner whose whose victory wasn't ever even in question. So he makes him six feet, five inches tall. He makes Mm -hmm. him 250 pounds. He makes him effortlessly muscular. He doesn't lift weights. He makes him incredibly smart. He's a detective. He was a military cop. He solves crimes for a living. And when he encounters the bad guys, he is unshakably confident. He's got Mm -hmm. this attitude of, I'm going to die one day, but today's not that day. And brings that into every scene every chapter, every book. And that to me, I actually think there's something in the air right now, particularly after 2020 um, and the racial justice uprisings, where we all want to see stories of victory, mm. where we all want to see the good person win, right? Um, the 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 uh, the person who's on the side of justice get a victory. And I think that's what books like these tap into. Um, I think that's why movies and books that are talking about the black struggle and just the black struggle are struggling right now. And I think mm-hmm. stories of overcoming and defying the odds um, always have a place, but especially right now when people have been beat down so much, when we've experienced so much losses politically, economically, socially, it feels like, so what does winning look like? Can we be reminded of that? So these Jack Reacher novels wow. and the series um for me sort of tap into that no that's really uh that's brilliant man i think uh yeah i really enjoyed the show and the show follows that similar arc right and not to say there isn't struggle but it's not what you would expect and i really i just i enjoyed that i enjoyed that and it left me wanting more i think also the casting was just 
very well done when you cast a show right, no matter what it is. That's right. That's know, right. It works. So and that's dope. <laughs> it's weird though, because I'm like, wait a minute, when did I become my dad? <laughs> As I remember right. being a <laughs> yeah, kid, exactly. he had all these Tom Clancy novels, Robert Ludlum sure. novels, these like kind of military spy thriller mysteries. And I'm like, that stuff looks so boring. And then somehow, <laughs> like my virtual time, shelf is though. filled with those books. I'm like, oh my gosh. It's uh, that time. That it's that time. No, that's <laughs> hilarious. That's hilarious. Uh, dad brain. What you got? So number eight on my list is, as I mentioned before, I do not have Kendrick Lamar's album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, but uh, I misled Kendrick, you. If I you're listening you. to this, it's nothing personal. We'd love to have you on the show. Talk about it. No, look, <laughs> it's fine because I do have a Kendrick Lamar uh, offering for 2022. Okay, okay. It's just not the album. It's his ah. single, The Heart Part Five, The Heart Part Five. Um, this is the fifth in the heart installments and if you know anything about the heart series it's typically always designed to gin up interest and build interest for an upcoming project and it's typically the space where kendrick steps outside of an album concept so every album that kendrick has released uh, has been a concept album there's been concept additions to it so for example um, you have Good Kid, Mad City, which follows him growing up in Compton. You have, and and one particular fateful night that shaped his entire life um, and shaped a lot of future art. You have uh, To Pimp a Butterfly, which is very mm. conscious and jazz influenced hip hop. You have the album Damn, which is an album that you can play forwards, or if you want to understand the album, you actually play it backwards. So you play it in reverse. Uh, to be like able to understand starting with the, the last album. song going to the exactly. first exactly okay. yeah so you, not not like no, no, you, in reverse no you play it in reverse so you understand that's why oh. we speak in tongues you play it in reverse ah. no nah, i'm kidding but <laughs> so you play the last song first and then you go backwards and then you can actually understand the album and it tells a different story and then mr morale and the big steppers which is all about kendrick's healing the heart part mm. five is one of kendrick's best songs because it's not the single you would expect but it doesn't make sense without the visual so i don't know if you've seen the music video but the music video i am not a music video guy i'm not a music video fan it's not what i do but i'd recommend that you watch the heart part five music video because it makes the song make sense it begins with this phrase i am uh, I am dot all of us. So, you know, people are like, man, this is, this is, what, what does he mean? What is he talking about? What is, what's going on? So he starts rapping and it's, it's no storyline, nothing. I mean, he's just, he's rapping in front of this, you know, in a white tee, black bandana. Um, you know, he's got his locks, freeform locks. And, um, you know, he's rapping in front of a red screen. And he's just kind of moving around. And then at one point, he looks down and grabs his face and then looks up. And it's no longer Kendrick, but it's deep fake technology. And now he's OJ. Oh. And so he goes through six transformations, which I think, again, I, I always know it's probably tricky for great artisans and creators for us to dissect uh, their music videos and their art because they're probably operating a level we don't operate in. but. 
I think that's why he starts with I am because there's seven similar to the seven I am statements that mm, Jesus made. I was going to say that I exactly. am sound biblical. Exactly. So <laughs> the seven, so it's seven angles of which he's identifying. So he goes from um, OJ Simpson to, I believe it's Jesse Smollett next. Ooh. Then it's uh, Kanye West. Uh, then it's Will Smith. Then okay. it's Kobe Bryant. And then he ends with Nipsey Hussle. Oh. So it goes from Kendrick through each of these portraits and pictures of a black man. And Kendrick is giving his social commentary on basically his interaction and his identification with each of these versions of a black man from OJ in a space of privilege and power to where he can claim to represent people that he doesn't share an experience with to Will Smith and the desire to love someone who in his view doesn't love him back um, to Jesse Smollett who desires to represent culture but can't get out of his own way to Kanye who has people around him who don't check him even though he has self-destructive behavior to Kobe and Nipsey and his desire to be icons that will, his desire to be like them as icons that will live far beyond their human life. Ooh, that's deep. And there's depth to it. And it is from a visual perspective and from something that you chew on is really meaningful. I have to say though, Jamar, I think, I left the heart part five less inspired and more sad Mm. and sad, not because I feel like Kendrick is like these versions of black men who are deeply flawed, some more heroic than others, but I left very concerned about Kendrick. And when I was listening to it again recently, I was very concerned about Kendrick because I see a, a, a man wrestling with the desire for healing, how elusive healing feels, and the guilt that the healing he expected to solve problems hasn't delivered what he thought it would. And I see Kendrick constantly wrestling with survivor's remorse and guilt. I see him constantly Mm. wrestling with his spiritual identity. I see him constantly wrestling with his place and culture and the fact that people don't see quite what he's doing or appreciate what he's doing. And I don't know Kendrick. I mean, far be it for me to analyze someone from a million miles away and then a perch that I wouldn't be able to ever imagine being on. But I hope he's okay. Bro, that's I real. hope he's okay. There are the 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 heart part five more than other films. Kendrick has has dramatically played out his own death on screen. Like you take the end of the All Right video, he's dramatically played out his own death. He's he's talked about you know being shot. He's talked about all these things, you know, being taken out of here. It felt like a harbinger mm. more than other times that I've heard it. And Kendrick is under a lot of weight and the weight of being who I personally believe, not just the greatest rapper of this generation. I think he's the best in terms of skill rapper ever. We've Mm. never had a better skillful, a more skillful 
more talented rapper in the history of the art form Ooh. than Kendrick Lamar. He is at that top. I pray. And that's a yeah. heavy burden to bear because he is also trying to critique and analyze culture and lead people and get his own healing, which if you hear Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, he's going through a lot. He is going through a lot. And these past five years have been a lot. So I, I hope he's okay. And I appreciate every time he gives us art because it's thoughtful. It's at the same time brash and self-reflective and self-aware. It's presumptive to, to say you are speak for the culture, right? You speak for all these different types of men. Uh, but it's also very instructive as well because it helps us to reflect upon the ways in which we see ourselves and the people that we claim to admire. So Man, I think I, this isn't necessarily like one of those feel good cultural artifacts, <laughs> but I, I think it's worthy. It has to be on my list. Well, I think you're going to change people's consumption of that particular song in a good way. Uh, you listen to it with, it sounds like the ears of a pastor. Uh, in the eyes of a pastor and 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 thinking about what somebody's art conveys about the state of their soul, which I think is really important, especially I think we had an episode called um what we did the heal black man uh oh yeah episodes. the whole series the whole series and we've also you know can black men live right so so many of our most significant to the culture artists that art is coming out of a place of, of pain and struggle and strife, mm -hmm. uh, a place of becoming it and not yet being. And so often for various reasons, that journey is cut short by death. Uh, so as you were talking to reminded me of juice world, he was yes. rapping about his own death in his twenties. Yes. yes. Which be, turned out to be prophetic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, died at a very young age, a prodigious, talent as a rapper um yes. and an artist and and you know you could repeat that pattern so many times and i think especially in this christian world we really have yet to define articulate and promulgate a cogent analysis of the black male condition in the ways that we have done say in the antebellum period or the jim crow era right mm -hmm. like 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 we can you look at those periods and say this is what it was doing to black men yes. i think because we're still in it and because of various other factors where we haven't even put the attention to it we have yet to really pin down um in a compelling way to my view uh what this culture what anti-blackness and white supremacy is doing right now to black men um but i think we get a glimpse of it through artists like kendrick Lamar.
Hey everybody, this is Tyler. This is Dr. Jamar Tisby. And we are excited that you're listening to this episode of Pastor Mike, but let me encourage you to support us. You can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash Pastor Mike. And for just $1 an episode. Just a dollar? Now that's the bare minimum. That's four quarters. But if you want to go higher, okay, 5, go 10, higher. 15, right. 20, 25, whatever it is, that will keep this show going and keep the high quality that hopefully you enjoy. So thank you for listening, but you can take it to the next level. Patreon.com slash Pass the mic. We appreciate you. Yeah, and I really want Black men to know, and by Black men, I include myself. I think it's the phrase I've been repeating to myself and the message I've been telling myself for the past few months as this very difficult 2022 is kind of wrapped up there is the most heroic thing we can do as black men is not go out and accomplish something great but to conquer what's inside mm. and to rest and to be and to flourish um, and to land in a soft place and to be gentle with ourselves, kind to ourselves. And I just, I've seen a lot of the outward behavior that we struggle with be a result of our war with ourselves Mm. and the beauty that is us. We're beautiful. And it's hard for us to say that and to admit that and to receive that and to embrace that. But we deserve rest. And I hope Kendrick, I'm glad he t- takes breaks between his albums. I, you know, we want the album, we want you know his production, but at the same time, I'm glad he takes breaks. But I hope every man, including myself and you, Jamar, I hope we hear that it's okay for us as black men to, to rest and to be, and that sometimes that's even more heroic than leading or serving or preaching, teaching. Or conquering, you know, being at peace with ourselves is elusive, but it's worth it. So true, man. So true. Um, to to y'all who are listening, uh, black men especially, hear what he said. We are beautiful. We deserve rest. We deserve healing. And the true achievement, if you will, is internal and pursuing because it's a constant pursuit. Um, that wholeness that we're all entitled to as creations of God. So, man, that's a good word, bro. Um, lift us back. I'm gonna, up. Us, I'm gonna take us back up. I'm gonna take us as 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 light as you can go. I think is this number five? No, um, this is four. This is four for you, right? This is okay. so. This is nine for you. All right. All right. All right. Jamar um, gonna have to come up with another one. <laughs> no, no, I got I got plenty. Okay. I'm just trying to discern what order. Um, I'm gonna take it super light because where we just were. And you know I had to do this, Tyler. You know I had to have a Kevin Hart one. Uh-oh. Oh <laughs> Lord. Let me see which one. He, I think I can predict your the one you're gonna I do. I don't I don't know if you're gonna do it. Um, you know, he and I see see eye to eye. Uh we're the same height. So it's literal. We see eye to eye. See, oh, but it was Rim shot. Um, et cetera, okay. et cetera. Don't let it get too far ahead of you. <laughs> so this cultural artifact is 
uh, Kevin Hart's show, Heart to Heart on Peacock. Mm. Is that the one you thought about? No, I thought you were going to do True Story. <laughs> Which was killer, literally and figuratively. Um, <laughs> right, yes. Absolutely good. That was a lot. But it was, it was good, though. It was good. So Heart to Heart is his video talk show, basically. He sits down and has a heart to heart conversation with some movie star. It's not dissimilar to his really intriguing podcast called Comedy Gold Mines, where he gets into into the minds of some of the world's funniest comedians is, is, is the tagline, right? So so with Heart to Heart, he does a similar thing, but it's broader. It's not just comedians. So he he he's had a, a, a ton of different guests on um, from Jennifer Lawrence to Mike Tyson, right? Uh, just interesting people. The whole premise is this. He says, great conversations happen over great wine. And so he has an actual mm. black man, Somalier, uh, which I don't know, I probably can count on one hand, the number of black sommeliers I've seen, comes out, introduces a particular wine, pours a glass for each guest. Surprising number of guests don't drink wine. They get water, sparkling water, root beer, something like that. Anyway, Kevin Hart always has the wine. Sommelier tells him what region is from, what year, what what's great about it, blah, blah, blah. And then they have an unscripted conversation. So he doesn't prepare any questions in advance. He'll get, you know, some info, some background on the person. Um, but these are people a lot of times where he's met them in passing their acquaintances. And this is truly their first heart to heart conversation. So it's a very dynamic, unpredictable conversation. He always sort of starts in the same place. He wants to know how did people get their big break? When did they know, you know, this thing was going to take off and they'd become a star kind of a thing. But that leads you down all kinds of roads. And some of the most interesting conversations have been really unexpected for me. For instance, Miley Cyrus. When you want to talk about an interesting interview, because if you think of Miley Cyrus, what immediately comes to mind is probably something wacky that she's done. Um, yes. Either it was like like early in her career when she's Hannah Montana and that whole Disney thing, or it's something when she was consciously trying to break out of that mold and be her own person. So that's what makes the con- conversation so interesting. It's a character journey. She's talking about her evolution as a person to become... Mm who, as she comes across in the show, really self-possessed and self-aware in a way that seeing her on stage or in some of these moments that have gone viral, you wouldn't predict, but there are, there's a, there's a deep well within her of just kind of thoughtfulness, spirituality. So that was one. Um, The Chris Rock episode, which this, I think it was before the slap. So that didn't come up. Um, The Chris Rock episode was great because Chris Rock refused to be serious on this. I don't know if that's just his nature. Or who he was in a mood. It was just yeah. them cutting up the whole time. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he was um crispy going it was, through. It was hilarious because two people totally steeped in comedy, um, who were also brothers, loved and respected each other. And to just see that sort of friendship i think maybe maybe you know kind of the dynamic you and i have just to see people Mm. who who really know each other have known each other and worked together for a long time just having a conversation that was fun the last one i'll mention is is probably the episode that most people if you've heard of it are familiar with it's the interview with don Cheadle. of course this is from season one i think it was episode your boy your boy don Cheadle, man virtuoso what was great about this was their banter 
So Kevin Hart's stand up, a lot of people have issues with. I would argue, though, his first three shows are are really sharp uh, because he's mm. talking about his his life in I Philly. Agree. I agree. Um, in so so that's on stage, but he really shines just sort of off the cuff in conversation. Like that's how he and Snoop did the Olympics commentary. It was supposed to just be a bit. And it was so funny and went went so viral that they made it to a whole series kind of a thing. Same thing with Don Cheadle. Um, it was that moment. The moment that went viral was uh, Don Cheadle says his age. It's like, yeah, you know, and I'm 54. <laughs> and Kevin Carter says, damn, <laughs> just interrupts right there. Straight deadpan. Damn. <laughs> like, like this. And then Don Cheadle plays along and they go back right, and forth. Like, right. what did you say? You know, it's it's a it's hilarious. Check it out. Just go Kevin Hart, Don Cheadle. It's, it's a up. great moment. It is a great moment. But the whole episode was like that. That's what most people don't realize. That wasn't even necessarily the funniest moment. They just have a kind of comedic rapport that is totally different from any other duo I've seen, especially with Kevin Hart, who's usually like over the top loud. And that's why people don't like right. it. He, with this, it's super subtle. It's like they've both wow. adopted these personas that just go back and forth, back and forth in these hilarious ways. If you want to see another example, the reason why they're so good on this Heart to Heart interview, they've worked together before. So um, there is a, a a sort of um, pre-show or prequel to one of Kevin Hart's comedy shows where he's playing like a James Bond character and Halle Berry is 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 his um, not significant other. They aren't romantically involved, even though Kevin Hart wants to be in this part of the bit. But uh, Don Cheadle is playing is is a casino is at a casino and playing cards, and Kevin Hart oh. is at the table, and they're making fun. He's making fun of each other. Uh, at one part, Kevin Kevin Hart goes to Don Cheadle. Oh, are you mad, Don? Oh, because you're not Iron Man. You're, I'm the Black Iron Man. I'm I'm not the real <laughs> Iron Man. <laughs> It's it, they just it's have hilarious. this whole and Don Cheadle remains deadpan the whole time they go back and forth. They it's this love hate thing. So anyway, all of those conversations on Heart to Heart are fascinating in their own ways. Those are just a few of the standouts, and it's funny to see a funny guy be funny but also serious and have conversations with uh, famous people you know that always in some way, shape, or form are coming out of left field and, and are just unpredictable. Yeah, I love interviews. So that'll definitely yep. be something I check out. You know, anything interview related. I'm always curious about the interview aesthetic as well. You know, how you create an interview that's different than other interviews people have been through. It's those of us who do them, you know, it's kind of an inner inner struggle and wrestle. You, you want to add value, the craft. but you also, yes. you know, you got to study the craft. So that's going to be amazing. I'll, I'll definitely I'll definitely check that out. You were mentioning Black Somali Ace. Have you seen the Netflix movie Uncorked? No, but I've heard of that. Have you watched it? Yeah. Yes, it's it's good. It's about the journey of a young black sommelier whose father is in the barbecue business. And he wants to be a sommelier. His dad wants him to take over the business. It's a good, it's a really good, uh, good film. Good little film to check out for sure. Okay. Right. Um, number nine. Down to my last two, my number nine. So I, I really didn't want to include this particular show only because... I've included it multiple times before, and it feels like me being over the top by saying, oh, I love Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Of course, you know I love the TV show Atlanta. So I'm not going to include the show, but I'm going to include an episode that in its final season, season four, episode eight, this is one of the greatest episodes of television I've ever seen. 
And it is also probably the best Atlanta episode, which is saying a lot mm. because Atlanta has some incredible ta- classic timeless episodes that people are going to be studying for years. And this episode is entitled the goof that sat by the door. <laughs> now I know you're like, what? So this is obviously <laughs> a play on uh, the spook who sat by the door, which is a novel. There was also kind of a film adaptation about it, but the novel is about the a fictional tale of the CIA's first black officer. Right. So the first black officer in the CIA, who's really just a pawn being used by the CIA to prove that it cares about integration, but really doesn't truly care. And this episode follows uh, Thomas Washington, who was uh, elected to be the head of Disney and in a short stint uh, as a black man created um, the Goofy, a Goofy movie. And he made the blackest film of all time, the blackest animated film of all time, a goofy movie. (laughs) Now, it's a documentary of Thomas Washington, his early life, and how he originally wanted them to call uh, a goofy movie, uh, Goofy Please. Uh, so if you know what that means, if you know what that means, then, you know, if you know, you know. Um, and how he was actually elected as to his position by accident. They mixed up uh, two different people. And then <laughs> they were like, we elected this black man to, to lead Disney. So obviously now in the moment, this is a full-fledged documentary episode. It features none of the main characters of Atlanta, which happens mm. sometimes. It's a standalone mm. episode. It advances none of the plot. This is what Atlanta is sometimes known for. Uh, It it has none of the four main characters, Brian Tyree Henry, uh, Lakeith Stanfield, Donald Glover, Zazie Beetz. None of them are present on this uh, particular episode. And uh, it is a mockumentary. Now, in the moment, you don't know that. It caused many of us who are watching to question Atlanta is kind of like that quintessential Twitter show. So Atlanta is the perfect show to be paired with Twitter because you're tweeting about it. You're like, yo, is this real? You know, like what? You know, Atlanta is those short burst reaction. It's a, it's, it's perfect for those short burst reaction tweets about really, there was a guy named Thomas Washington, a black man at Disney in the executive position who was running it and, and led to, a goofy movie being made. That's why we love a goofy movie so much is because he's black and he's this. And so it's a mockumentary. It's not real, but it feels oh, okay. so real. It incorporates real cultural journalists, uh, real uh, actors and actresses who you would know. And it is also really connecting dots for us and it intersperses clips of a goofy movie and feels like a real documentary. And it also just really connects dots for us to always believing like Goofy was black and that Goofy <laughs> was created by Disney also to be a caricature of blackness, right? right that he right. was created by Disney story, to yeah. be someone who would represent a black demographic, but almost be a be a joke but but now 
kind of subverting that concept. Other people have speculated that it's also Donald Glover telling, not just, you know, shooting at Disney, but also telling his own story of being on the NBC show Community and uh, how uh. for him, this is how he felt there, right? And so some people believe it's like semi-autobiographical for Donald Glover, but it is phenomenal. It's one of those things that if you hear it, it shouldn't work. And I'm not going to give away everything, but they do some pretty phenomenal things in the show. And it's the best of Atlanta. It made me sit back and say, we don't deserve Atlanta as a TV show. We don't deserve... These are the things you wouldn't think to make, but that yield so much understanding and dark comedy and laugh out loud moments and also piercing commentary about how so many of us are placed in predominantly white institutions, majority institutions, in order to be seen as something or to be present but not have our contributions valued. Yep. And so we're made mockeries of instead of having the opportunity to speak into what's being created for us. And so it did all of that. And it's really hard to describe, but if you go and watch just season four, episode eight, you don't have to love Atlanta. You don't have to go through the previous seasons. It's standalone. If you go and watch it, I feel like you'll be blown away. And I feel like it's an achievement and a triumph of, of black excellence in art, in, uh, TV production and writing and all the above. And it's also incredibly risky. The best art, I was telling somebody this about this episode, that the best art causes us to question the nature of our reality. Uh. And this caused me to question whether or not I had just missed this entire backstory of a Black Disney executive (laughs) who had paved the way for so many other people. And And it also caused me to ask hard questions about my own time and my own space and how how we are all involved in in spaces sometimes that can treat us like fictional Thomas Washington. So (laughs) that's good, man. Um I'm gonna have to watch that. Now that you said it's like a standalone episode. That it's a standalone episode. You don't have to it's it's just you know 40, 40, 45 minute commitment. It's 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 something you have to experience. You can't go into 2023 and not experience this. You have to experience this. You you cannot let uh, I'm telling you, put this on your calendar, watch it, because it's it, and and imagine it has nothing to do with the show. And imagine just how great that is, that you can do that. And this is what we get to do when we get a chance, when we get an opportunity. All right. Shout out to Atlanta. Um, It's it's made an appearance on the show before uh, with good reason. Um, And it's done, too. So that's it. So this is its final season. And its final season, uh, it made a mark, for sure. Shortened but brilliant uh, existence. Um, I'm going to go with a show slash series as well. This is it, bro. This is number 10. It's number 10. We've talked about it before in passing. Um, but you said, you know, a moment ago, you know, great art makes you like questioning your reality. Great art also creates new categories of possibility. And mm. that's what this show did. Created a new category of possibility. The show is, you're going to know it as soon as I say it. 
The show is Formula One Drive to Survive. Of course, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So what do, what do I mean by creating well new categories of possibility? It actually created a new U.S. market for Formula One racing. Yes. So most people, if I say Formula One, have have almost no context for it. Can't even picture the car. Which car is it? You know, what does it look like? Is that start car racing? No, it's not start car racing. That's that's NASCAR. That's Confederate flags. That's everybody going in a circle. You know, for two hundred laps, right? Was it Confederate? Formula One, these are the fastest cars on the planet, basically. And it's open wheel, which means they they are not covered. Um, and they go on a circuit, so it's different twists, different turns. Some of them are even city circuits where they're going through downtown streets, like in Monaco. So um, I got hooked on it because somebody told me about the show, and it's just fantastic storytelling. It's just an unscripted kind of documentary. It's hilarious because in the first season, the top tier car there are three tiers there's top tier the middle and then folks who are always you know coming in last or or toward the mm-hmm. end um the top tier teams didn't want to participate in the series because they didn't they didn't know what it was they didn't know where it was going they didn't want secrets to spill out they didn't want the drama all of that stuff so so it was fascinating because it was really a story of the middle and the third tier teams which is way more interesting they're struggling with lower budgets with less sponsorship with less acclaim and they're vying not for the first place really i mean they're always trying to get first place but they're vying just to get a little bit higher than the next team which is a really a a much more interesting story um eventually the top teams start participating in it and there's just Mm -hmm. levels of drama and tension Obviously, there's the race itself. There's 20 drivers, 10 teams, two drivers per team. I had to learn all these rules of Formula One, right? Um, they go to, uh, to, to, to circuits all around the world from Dubai and Tokyo to Austin, Texas, right? And uh, everybody obviously is always buying, wants to get first place. Sometimes something wacky will happen. Like if it's if it rains, all bets are off. They're still going to race, but spin outs all this stuff sometimes engines fail sometimes there's a crash thankfully they're they're usually not lethal um at this stage in the game so so every race is still filled with tension um but there's also internal team drama so that like i said there's two drivers per team each of the driver wants to be the primary driver and whether they say it or not every team has a has a has a first you know and every team has a second chair so you all want to be in that first right and it's precarious like the longest contracts might be three years you know so so uh they are literally racing for their jobs every single season to get renewed wow. they might switch teams whatever but you're not it's gonna intense, see somebody y'all. it's intense it's super intense and then uh it's 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 fascinating because it's it's global it's global. So you get exposed to drivers and teams that are from around the world. I'll never forget. There's one interview where um, the interviewer and the interviewee both spoke uh, French. And so they they did the whole interview in English. And then they did it all again in French. Right. They'll do it with Italian. They'll do it with Spanish. It's Dutch. It's, it's just fascinating. Right. To to see a global sport. And the U.S. isn't central. That's my favorite part about it. Like everywhere we go, we think the world revolves around us. We think everybody should speak English. Everybody should take U.S. dollars, yes. all of this stuff. Exactly. Um, 
while Formula One is extremely elitist and still racist in its own way, just look at Lewis Hamilton and what he's been through. Of course, of um, course. Yet and still, it pulls us out of our, you know, America is the center of the universe kind of context. And it made a fan out of me. So I watched all season and it's fascinating, y'all. It is a multi-day affair. They start mm-hmm. on Friday. They race on Saturday for for qualifying. And then they have the real race on Sunday. I got to get up at all sorts of hours because, like I said, it's global. <laughs> it might be afternoon in the Middle East, but it's like six in the morning in the u.s uh but it's fun it's fun and there's a whole global community who are fans around it so it was great for me to have um a sport a new sport how long has it been since we got into a new sport as an adult exactly Um, so it was fascinating just to 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 learn to to root for people to have villains and heroes and there's all the engineering part that i didn't even talk about it there's a fine-tuning the cars every single race so formula one drive to survive it's a riveting series and then it might just get you hooked on a new sport (laughs) yeah so it's funny i based upon hearing him and our video producer ryan uh, talk about drive to survive so much i decided to start watching it and it is addicting and there are moments of intrigue and there's also infighting and drama, all kinds of things that make it really a special reality TV show. The stories of failure and triumph, and, uh, particularly Jamar, you know, I even use this prominently, you know, it really moved me, the Roman Grosjean situation, which I won't get into, but mm-hmm. the Roman Grosjean situation, right? And, and all that happened as a result of that, the humanity there. So, yeah, I have to admit Drive to Survive is a great addition to this because I enjoyed it as well in 2022. So it gives me an opportunity to reflect on Drive to Survive because it was really, really good. And I love saying, you know, I know, you know, things have shifted. But when you see a brother go and dominate, be the best, my be the best my ever, you know, yes. you know, the best ever. And to do what he's done and to break records, Lewis Hamilton, that's that's special as shout well. Shout out, shout out. Yes. All right, okay. round so us out, number brother. 10 for me. <laughs> number 10 for me. Um, we don't have, we don't rank, right? We don't rank our artifacts. But if I did, I'm pretty sure this would be number one. That's and so I've saved last. it for the right. end. And I think, yes, the goof who sat by the door is close. But I think I've saved the best for last. And you know, everyone talks about the multiverse, right? And Marvel is right now currently in their multiverse saga, their multiverse phase. But the best multiverse film was not a Marvel film. Hmm. Best multiverse mm-hmm. uh, contribution to this particular, uh, this particular uh, movement and this particular moment is a film that is called Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And... Someone said recently, try to describe this movie to somebody. And I say, you know what? I can't. The New York Times calls it, this is what the New York Times calls it, a swirl of genre anarchy with elements of black comedy, science fiction, fantasy, martial arts, films, and animation. And yes, it is all of that. I had no idea what I, what I was getting into. And for the first 10, 15 minutes, I was like, what is happening? Um, it follows uh, a couple, a Chinese American couple who has started a laundromat. They're currently being audited by the IRS 
And as a result, they go because of a clerical error. They have to go and they, you know, are trying to appeal their case to the IRS agent. When they appeal their case to the IRS agent, uh, what happens is uh, the husband, I believe his name is Wayman. Wayman, you know, comes outside of his uh, consciousness and enters into the multiverse, or the, or I think in that case they call it the alphaverse. And his wife Evelyn, played by Michelle Yeoh, the classic actress, is still there. And he is transported into a new reality, a new world. And being transported into a new world, he now starts to see the reality of the multiverse and how Evelyn is kind of the key. She, in her current form, is actually the most disappointing of all of the Evelyns because she's the one who is the the heroine, the one who is going to push back and, and hold back the evil force that's going to come and destroy the entire world. And so in the midst of all of this, they have a tense relationship and a frustrating relationship with their daughter, Joy. Evelyn and Joy don't see eye to eye for a number of different reasons. And, you know, her love life, um, her uh, free spiritness, her critiques, all the above. And what follows is indescribable, absolutely indescribable. It is chaotic, it's loud, it's over the top, it's wacky, and it's beautiful. Mm. It is the way it's tied together and the way cohesively that the relationship between Evelyn and Joy plays out is breathtaking. One of the most moving films. I've seen, I think, I don't think a film has made me feel that way since Moonlight. Um, Moonlight was that similar type of film where completely different genre, completely different setting, completely different everything, but it made me feel like I was, it took me to a different place. Yeah. The reason I include everything everywhere all at once is it, it could be in probably will be considered by many people the best film of the year. It's going to get a Best Picture nomination. It's got a great shot of winning. It's going to get Best Actress, Best Director, all these nominations for awards. I could do it on merit, but I do it because it moved me. Mm -hmm. And I was in a particular place in my life at that time. Um, that day that I went to see Everything Everywhere All at Once, I was not in a good mental place. and. Ironically, I was talking to my dad and I told him that I wasn't in a good mental place and that I felt very depressed and overwhelmed. And he suggested, let's go see a movie. And when he suggested, let's go see a movie, uh, well, actually, I think what happened was I was going to see a movie and then he said, oh, I'll come, I'll come meet you. Like he just stopped whatever he was doing and just decided he was going to come sit with me and, you know, be around me. And the film was beautiful, but it was a little bit shattering because, and, and this is not a secret to any of my friends and the people who know me, love me, my family. It's not a secret to Jambar, but it, it was difficult because of my relationship with my mother. And again, our, our church, our, everybody around me knows this. Um, I'm not sharing this with you outside of doing internal work or 
or therapy, which I'm, I'm in, or, or, you know, confronting these things, pushing for reconciliation, things of that nature. And I don't share it because I have to. I share it because in that moment, I saw something on screen that at first very greatly moved me to discouragement and then eventually gave me a lot of hope that our relationship could be better Hmm. without getting into the details of everything that's happened. It's been a difficult journey to walk through and with everything that's happened recently with my my dad being sick and, and all the above, I've, I've had to confront the fact that life and time are short yeah. and we don't get multiverses to live mm. in. Mm. We don't get alternate realities to be a part of. And while you're in the reality you're in now, you, you might as well cherish the people God gave you. And I've been on that journey. And the film cut me in a deep way. But it, it, it gave me hope that even when things appear to be as bad as they were in the film, that there is light that comes from love and from choosing to love, even mm. the people who are unlovable. And that that light is the light that's reflected in Christ towards us, but it's also reflected in our small decisions every single day to love the people who are hard to love and to love the people who harm us, not without boundaries, not without distance, not without work, not without clarity, not without protection of your own self. But, but choosing to love is a radical act. It's the most radical act in, in all of the universes. If there are multiverses, the, the act of choosing to love is more radical than anything. It's, it's greater than the wackiest uh, obstacle or threat or enemy or it's the most powerful force that we have. And that love that God shows towards us is the love that we are called to show towards others. And everything, everywhere, all at once helped me to confront that and face it Mm -hmm. and embrace it. And the best art will change your life and change the way you look at what you're in. That's Mm -hmm. what this movie did. So that's why it would be my number one. That's a beautiful reflection. Um, A film absolutely worthy of of all the praise and attention it's getting and it's really i think poignant to hear um not just at a top level of popularity or critical acclaim but on a personal level how a piece of art can affect an individual who's in a particular stage a particular season where it's just like man that was just what i needed so i didn't think it was what i needed at the time but it was exactly what i needed to see and at the time I said, I wish that's what my mom would do for me. And as is most often the case in our lives, what we wish others would do might be what we're called to. Yeah. So that's it's it. Just started a sermon right there. You <laughs> cliffhanger oh. right there. Um, but so true. Absolutely so true. Man. This is well, why we do it. 
That's why we do it. Go through your go through your last five here. Go through your last. Go five. through my last five cultural artifacts part two. I said apps and I shouted out Audible and Blinkist and Duolingo. I said Substack, the newsletter platform. I talked about the Jack Reacher novels and being unbeatable. And I talked about Formula One racing and the drive to survive series as my cultural oh and the heart to heart can't forget that one the kevin hart of course, heart to yes. heart series I you were forgetting um, <laughs> and mine uh, i broke the rules by doing two albums at once moonchild uh starfruit by moonchild and black radio three by robert glasper uh, number seven for me was the tv show severance number eight was the single uh hip-hop single by kendrick lamar the heart part five and uh, number nine was the Atlanta episode, The Goof Who Sat By The Door, season four, episode eight. And then finally, it was Everything Everywhere All At Once, the movie by Michelle Yeoh. So what 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 narrowly uh, missed out, man? What was the what were the things that that didn't make it? And you were like, I can't yeah. believe they didn't make it. But super, give me some of your honorable mentions. Super real briefly. Um, honorable mention was Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power series. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, a lot of things I could name, but namely, um, I, I got to be in in the group, uh, a group that 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 got to see the the streamers before they came out. Um, yeah, same, like same. as part of the press. So no, don't don't it, flex on me. Don't flex on me. <laughs> <flexing. that> <laughs> ah, very good. So it was just really interesting um analyzing it. And I got to do, you know, some some commentary on it. Uh so it invested me in it in in a new way. Um but you know why Epic Rings of Power didn't make it? You know why Rings of Power didn't make it? Why for me? Because they gave up on the black characters at the end. Anyway, moving on. Exactly. I was looking at all of that. Um, another quick honorable mention. <laughs> this one gets to the heavy and the what do you call it? The roots. Um, the 2022 midterms. Very yes. interesting turnout. No interesting. red wave like folks were predicting. Still, you know, Republicans got the House, but um, Democrats kept the Senate. Um, super. I think what stood out to me was. We want to say, not that it's all doom and gloom, but that mm -hmm. I, th I think I think there was a sense that re Republicans and what the Republican Party has become is just sort of destined to take the day, and you know we're just all on the Titanic waiting for the ship to sink. Um, but what the midterms told me was when you give people a taste a taste mm. of freedom of democracy of of what this country was supposed to be or what we imagine yes. it can be we will fight tooth and nail for that and maybe yes. maybe there're just enough people who are willing to take action that not only can we preserve what we have we can make it better that's um, good. That's good. Not bro. an optimist. I'm a realist, but the midterms were like, wait, okay, hold on. There's there's some, there's some fight left here. So those were my two two of my honorable mentions. I could go on, but what you got? Man, I got a lot. So the uh, TD Jakes, Sarah Jakes Roberts moment, um, huh. where he transferred the woman that was yeah. leadership over to her. I felt like that was a stirring moment, regardless of what you think about the Jakes and 
their approach to ministry, I felt like it was a very powerful affirmation. Yeah. I encourage uh, you all to go and listen to Truth Table's reflection on that as well, Woman Thou Art Loose, because they were there physically. And um, I thought their reflection was really powerful. And then as one who has received the ministry from a father, there was a lot, a lot of subtext there. Uh, obviously, Wakanda Forever, you know, that's got to be on there. It just, I think the hard part about Wakanda Forever is similar to Kendrick's album, which is also on here, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It's so heavy. It just, it, I didn't go back and see it again. So it just didn't consume me in the same way other things have. But um, it was just so heavy, but it was amazing. Uh, Dawn, the album by Yeba. I thought that, that that one got a lot of play this year. Uh, man, I, I, for the life of me, one of my favorite artists to replay on repeat, there's two artists that you'll hear constantly in my speakers. That's Frank Ocean and Lucky Day. And Lucky Day's Candy Drip album is outstanding. Very slept on. I cannot believe I did not put it in here, but it just narrowly missed. Um, obviously, we both forgot um, not forgot, but we both didn't put in Beyonce's Renaissance album. Uh-huh. Uh, that album is really, really good and special. It probably went album of the year, all the above. Um, and it was excellent. Uh, there's an anime called Cowboy Bebop that I wanted to put yeah. in, but I haven't watched enough episodes of Cowboy Bebop to actually really uh, put it in. I've just been juggling so many different animes and shows that I didn't actually, it didn't feel right to put it in because I haven't finished it and I haven't, you know, watched more than four or five episodes, but I love the aesthetic and the feel. And then finally, got to give some love to a book by, um, I believe this is, uh, hopefully I don't butcher the pronunciation, but Anand Yerdadis. And I've mentioned his name before on a Culture Artifacts um, episode, but he wrote a, uh, yeah, so the book that I mentioned before was Winner Take All, Winners Take All or something like that. It's about billionaire philanthropy and kind of looking mm-hmm. beyond just the good act to see if it's actually good for society and good for the masses. And he wrote a book called The Persuaders that came out about a month or two months ago. And that book has bent my mind and caused me to challenge and question how I approach people who I disagree with. And uh, so shout out to Anand Girdadas. And then I have to shout out finally our um, one of our listeners named Paul. He sent me this incredible so paul i hope you stay to the end i hope you, I hope you stay to the end. <laughs> but he sent me this incredible comic um it, it's just a it's just arresting you know it's 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 a pretty straightforward comic but it's very arresting it's called the black man's guide to getting pulled over and he saw it he Ooh. thought of me sent me a dm he had actually recommended some other stuff before so he sent me a dm about it and it was like i love to send this to you so he sent it to me and um shout out to paul man shout out to paul it's very special that he sent that's that to great. me and very meaningful as well. So that's our list, man. 2022 has been a good year. 2022 was incredible. We're up this in 2023, was 2023, bro. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, we're getting better at cultural artifacts too. I think b- both of us keep a running list like through the year. So it's really interesting to see what we yes. curate at the end. Thanks once again to our listeners. Thanks for sticking with us. Yes. Um, <laughs> getting getting into our wacky minds and seeing what what kind of moves us and whatnot. Uh, but but we enjoy this because we enjoy you. We love all the feedback we've had folks text us and message us which you are welcome to do anytime (laughs) i'm getting Uh, messages all over they like we laughing at your taylor swift reflection of course can we get an all black cultural artifact 
Shout out to the people who listen to the podcast. It means so much to us. And I don't know, maybe we need to do a little bit more of this. You know, I feel like there's some juice on this. So maybe we need to do a little bit more of this. I, I know think we for the, the end of the year. The cultural analysis but... piece is so fascinating. Uh, endless. Because we we are very different in that. Uh, yeah. what, what, what we like, what moves us, our take on things. So there will be some really interesting conversations on everything from She-Hulk to, you know, oh whatever. I don't know. I didn't get past uh, episode one, man. Like there's all kind of stuff. I haven't seen Thor. Didn't get past episode one of She-Hulk. It's a lot of things. Oh yeah. Also an honorable mention is Prey. Like Prey was dope to me. So I got to shout out Prey. You know, it's just so it's so much TV, it's so much content. It's so much that I feel content. like I'm just missing. I feel like I'm missing things now. So you know what folks could do is they could be Patreon subscribers, which would give us more time <laughs> yeah. to engage in these, right, and then we right, can produce exactly. more content. Exactly. Lol, we'll do it. Appreciate y'all. Yo, shout out to artifacts. you. It's been a dope 2022. It's been a dope 2022, Jamar. Thank you to you, brother. We rocking again. We've been doing this for now about eight years now. Feels like um, I think yeah, I think it's been almost eight years. Twenty twenty three will be eight years. We've been doing it. So shout out to you, brother. Thank you for letting me go on this ride with you. And um, we got more. It's more to come. More to come. More to come. See you soon on the next. <laughs> Pass the Pass mic. The I hate doing that. So you just—he <laughs> tried to get you can't let end twenty twenty two without doing yeah, it. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to end that, man. I'm trying to end that. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.